Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. Good morning, good morning. This is Charlotte Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast. Today, we are thrilled to announce the opening of a new feature exhibition, Chicanx, Dreamers, and Changemakers. And we have as our special guest today, Greta de Leon, who is one of the co-curators. She's with us today from Mexico, although last week she was here in Vancouver to launch. Um, we're going to, as we usually do at the beginning, have the people, our Zoomsters, come on and introduce themselves. And then we will be uh, going directly to asking some questions of Greta. So uh, Ramona was on first. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Ramona Srinivasan, um, the professor at Mumbai University. And I write academic texts in history and French, but not poetry like Neil said. So here I'm an admirer and a listener to the wonderful poems written by Neil and Leslie and Charlotte. And so happy to see you today, Greta, and hear you. And Ramona might sing for us. Ramona often sings and chants and gives us more light and enthusiasm as we go through it. Um, Neil? Yeah, my name is Neil Ryan. Uh, I guess I consider myself a poet. And uh, I'm on Amazon with my book called From the Other Side, which is a book of 60 poems and three short stories. Uh, and it's about life and love and and uh, the experience called humanity. And uh, I am I, I am gifted with a muse that tells me the poem. And I just I guess I'm just more of a scribe because the the words the words come to me. So I am blessed with that. And a wonderful life. And so there you go. Well, thank you. We'll be looking forward to hearing your poem later. Leslie? Uh, yes, I'm Leslie Hebert. <clears throat> Excuse me, from uh, New Westminster, Canada. And uh, originally I'm from the UK. Um, I've lived in uh, the lower mainland here for most of my adult life, actually. Um, I am a teacher of English as a second language, and I write short stories and poetry 
I haven't had much published. I think one poem and a few short stories, but uh, I'm plugging away. I'm actually writing a memoir right now about a trip I took to Japan a few years ago, which I'm hoping to get published. So, And she shared part of it. One of the things that you find when you go to our poweredbyage.com website is something called stories, poems, interviews and novelties. And so we have some excerpts from people's work, their written work, one of them being Leslie's memoirs. And we have some of Ramona, Neil's and my work. And so maybe, Greta, since you are also a poet, <laughs> you'll be able to add to what we have on our website with some of your poetry. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like uh, to say again that uh, the project that we're talking about is co-developed there are co-curators from a, a Museum of Anthropology here and also the American Research Network. Um, Greta, would you like to explain to us more about who you are and what the American Research Network is and why it collaborated with uh, UBC for this exhibition? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Charlotte for, for the space and, and to introduce me to this amazing guild and fellowship of poets and, and artists and creators. This is this is this is wonderful and, and um, thanks thanks for inviting me. So I am the executive director of the Americas Research Network, that it is a consortium of universities and museums, was founded in 1998 by the Smithsonian Institution with the whole aim of developing a um, framework uh, to, to, to promote the collaboration in, 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 in different projects, mainly in the humanities and, uh, and, um, and social sciences. So MOA, um, we, we co-organize a series of meetings and a project called World Museologies. And since then, it became a member of ARENET. ARENET is the short acronym for, for our organization. And, um, and they're a member. And, and Anthony Shelton, the, the previous director of, of MOA, invited me to co-curate this, this exhibition, Chicken X, Dreamers and Changemakers, with uh, Jill Baird, which is the curator of education at MOA. And... Uh, it has been an amazing experience, three years in the making. And poetry is also very much in the core and in the DNA of the exhibit. So I, I know you saw the, the, the show. I was very happy that I was able to, to see you in person and to meet you. Um, and yeah, well, that's, that's in a nutshell uh, what it is and, 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 and why am I here? <laughs> Not in the larger scheme of things, like why am I in life? But we, we, can, we can get to that afterwards. I mean, I'm, I, I know it's in the essence and the core of your program, but yeah. Well, thank you. We're, we're, I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Why is this exhibition significant or relevant for Vancouver audiences now? Well, I think it's important for, for, for audiences in general. I think it's an important exhibition because um, the Chicano movement, it it is a very important component of the civil rights movement in the US and, and in the world. And it's often overlooked. So it is part of this tapestry of, of, 
of, of fights, of struggles, of social mobilization, of artivism that happened and then has kind of created this democracy. I think there's also a lot of echoes with the Vancouver um in, in, with, with Vancouver and, and, and in this moment, because you do have a big component of, of, of temporary migrant workers that are coming from, from Mexico and Latin America, but that was influenced in the origins of the Chicano movement and also the indigeneity. Most of the Chicano activists and artists, they self-identify as indigenous. So, so I think um, this is the first time that an exhibit of this caliber is being shown in Canada. So the fact that it's, it's happening in Vancouver, I think is, is great. Yes. Also here in the studio with me is Jesse, the public affairs director for CJSF. Hello. And uh, he has uh, also some interest in this first time, this novel uh, exhibition that's happening with UBC. Our radio station is a part of another college, Simon Fraser University. But uh, Jesse, introduce yourself and if you have any questions. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm Jesse. I'm the public affairs coordinator at CJSF, the campus community radio station up at Simon Fraser University. Uh, I, uh, I will admit I did not have any questions prepared immediately, but uh, maybe something will come up as 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 we go. Yeah. One of the things that I think was significant about the name um, that it's the gender identification. How does this reflect multi-generational experiences? Tell us a little bit about what that re- name means. Well, Chicanx, we 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 chose to use the X uh, in the beginning in the beginning of the word in the beginning of the title of the exhibit instead of the CH because CH is an Spaniard, a Castilian um, pronunciation or or usage of the X sound of Nahuatl. So we started the exhibit with a notion of decolonizing a little bit uh, the term. So, so the first X comes from the Nahuatl sound. Nahuatl is the largest or one of the largest indigenous groups and languages in Mexico. So we use that orthography. Um, and the X at the end is to represent inclusion. In the show, we have... Uh, Chicano men, Chicana women, and also non-binary artists uh, in the show. So we wanted to to represent um, the whole composition of, of of the of the diversity of the of the artists and and the people involved in the show. And there's a number of the pieces uh, pay reverence to women or things the the body, the sanctity of birth. Uh, is there a particular reason why you focused a lot on that? Well, one the Chicano movement in the 70s, like a lot of things were happening in the 70s and in the 60s, it was um, tainted with a, a little bit more of a masculine um, veil. So some people would have said that it was very driven by men. And now what we have found in the new in the new artists and kind of like the point sphere of the movement is been taken by women and also by representatives of the LGBTQ plus movement. So self-identified artists, women and queer are, are really prominent in the show. And when you talk about the social movement, kind of 
the the fight and the struggles and the and what they're seeking for in terms of of rights it goes more into the into the identity and and acceptance and uh, representation so so i think that's why there's so much uh, work by women and 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 illustrated as such yeah, I think another point, there's something different about this exhibition. How many of you have been to the Museum of Anthropology at UBC? <laughs> Ramona, they, it's digital. So there are places that you can click a QR code. And what happens when you click those codes, Rebecca? Yeah, we wanted the Chicano movement and the Chicano, the Chicano art. It's it's really broad. So we have a huge creation in film, and literature, in theater, in music. So it was very difficult for us to kind of like incorporate that into our gallery space. So we created this Chicanex Digital, and the website is chicanexart.com. And all of the, of the object labels in the show have a QR code that will take you to the to the page of the work, and you can read more of the artists that created the piece. So their bio, their favorite music, some of them write about their favorite books, their favorite films, and we, you can even find some recipes. And all of the catalog and all of the text of the exhibition is bilingual, it's in English and Spanish, because the, the Chicanos, they're all US citizens, but of Mexican origin, so they are always uh, going back and forward into these these two languages, right? I, uh, Neil, did you have a question? Oh no, that's me. Oh. <laughs> Jesse here. We're somewhat confusingly. Uh, Greta, do you, do you have a, a favorite piece in the exhibit or like a favorite artist? I know that's like asking you to. Pick that's cool. That's that's super cruel. That's super cool. I have I all of them. I mean, it was it was three years in the making. It was working with the artists. It was seeing the work every day, and and correcting the text and writing the text and fixing the images. And like so, so it's it's very hard to to find to find one piece. I think they are really iconic pieces. There's there's a couple of pieces that I think exemplify um, very well the the essence of the exhibit, one will be by Esther Hernandez, which is a print of the Statue of Liberty. And inside the Statue of Liberty, there is like a Mayan Estela, which is an indigenous way of kind of, it will not be a totem, but it's an Estela. So it's a carved um, composition uh, being made with a with a chisel and a, and a hammer by a woman. So I think that that, that speaks to me of, of the struggle of this community that are that have had to carve themselves a space within two two cultures, two very very dominant cultures. One was the the, the Mexican, the Spanish, and then the the U.S. Um, so so I think that one always resonates with me. Uh, but there are so many. There are so many really powerful powerful images. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard. That's a very hard question. People um, would be fascinated to see a wall. There's a wall where the equivalent of a slideshow and a, a film happens. And it's very educational because a lot of people, when you heard all of this talk about the wall and building the wall, and it says, 
here was there's a map and it says here is where the border was um and it's been pushed down but the border went all the way above past california to quite a high point in the states can you tell me how did you create that whole wall which was very educational about um migration the original indigenous people of the u.s and how that got switched and etc yeah there's there's um but this is in, in we, we curated the show in thematic areas, and one of the thematic areas is borderlands. And we didn't want to talk about border, like a border, because it is a region. And it still is a region when you share environments, you share animal uh, migration paths, you share cultures, you share language, food, traditions, festivities. No? So, so it's this whole borderlands region but but the map that you're talking about it is the map of mexico in 1848 which was when the guadalupe treaty was signed and that's when mexico sold or ceded uh half of its territory to the united states so in in a lot of the demonstration by the chicano activists in the 70s they will have this sign saying we didn't cross the border the border crossed us. And that talks a lot about their rights because suddenly they became United States citizens, American citizens, and the Spanish, that was their original language, their, their language and their home and their culture was forbidden. So so that when sometimes when I think about Chicano is how they have to be decolonizing twice, not from the Mexicans and then from the Americans and then from the Americans being Mexicans. So that, that's the, the map that you're referring to. And across the wall, there is a piece by Alfred Quiroz that takes exactly that territory and, and draws this really comic graphic history of all the characters that were involved during the Treaty of Guadalupe. Uh, period. Yeah, I think just sitting there, a few people sat and watched it three times because it showed particular cities, San Diego, uh, Los Angeles, the things that were happening in each city. And this uh, whole idea of people was something like 500,000 people deported. Yeah, about that. Um, we also have this other screening that shows it when you enter the show, like the projection of the murals, talking about walls, how they are um, Chicano art has also big into street art and muralism. They've been very influenced by the muralist movement of the early last century in Mexico, like Siqueiros and Rivera and Orozco. So they, they, the mural art and the Chicano muralist movement is really big. So we wanted to showcase that how 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 spread out it is. So you have murals in, in Minnesota, you have murals in Colorado, in Los Angeles, in Texas, in, in New York, in Chicago. So it's throughout and they have been uh, as an important manifestation of their work in the communities as well. So there's a lot of walls and, and fences and, and the common threads around the show. Yes, I think it's rather than reading several history books, what you see going through the exhibit uh, are these murals, moving walls, things that talk to you. Uh, at the end, last week at the opening, there was a song, there was a performance. Uh, can you describe what was happening within that performance? Is that something people will be able to hear? Is it is it recorded where you could hear it at the museum? 
Well, we will, I think I just got the link, a link of the recording of the performance. We will, we will be able to upload it into the digital catalog and probably more. We'll also upload it into the website. I don't, I, we, it's just, as you know, it was just last week. So we're just getting all these materials back. But yeah, it was recorded. And the performance was by David Zamora Casas. He's an artist from San Antonio, Texas. And he is the one who built the altar. Remember the altar piece with the video installation as well? He, he did that. And, um, and he also performed one of the poems that is recorded in the digital, um, com- digital poetry component of the uh, altar. So, so that you can see. His poetry is, is on the website. It's on the chickenxart.com. And, and, you can, and you can listen to his poetry. And it's really beautiful and it's really strong. So now that we are among fellow poets, I think you will get a kick out of listening to this fantastic Tejano queer poet, David Zamora Casas. And can you share uh, the um, Chicanx for people who are listening? <laughs> Sure. Uh, Chicanex is X I A N E X Art dot com. Great. Uh, everyone who is a writer or speaker in visiting that ex- exhibition, I got ideas to support seeing how if, it looks like you're looking in a window and through the window, he's performing different pieces around uh, a memorial. And I thought, wow, we can do that. We can get a windowsill <laughs> and have people do their poetry. I mean, there are just so many ideas there for creative people as you go through the exhibition. Um, I'm 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 really happy you you liked that and yeah it is it is a really nice it's a really great performance his poetry is is very strong it's very powerful and and as and as you say I mean it as you walk through the show and as and as you start seeing the works the works start like sneaking on you and start showing up through these walls and these very very colorful walls and then it that it confronts you to to issues or 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 images that are sometimes a little bit harder to to see or to realize what is actually behind all this um, beautiful strength and color. Uh, I, I think a lot there's with uh, missing indigenous children and children who were bodies that were were found of children that had been in these these schools, that there were some similar things talking about uh, children who were forced to go to schools where they uh, they couldn't speak the language, couldn't wear the clothes, very, very similar that people don't understand, you know, occurred within the United States. So there are areas where you can read about and see what's happening and uh, the extent to which purging people of their language and culture occurred and why it makes us, you know, advocates to keep something like from that from like that from happening again. Greta, can you try that address again? XI? I'm gonna I'm gonna type it in the chat and see. But also because we can all oh, see each other because but the we radio each other. <laughs> and podcast listeners can't see the chat. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. It's X I C A N X A R T dot com. Chicanxart 
Facebook.com. So so sorry, I okay. I got all goofed up with the video thing. Here it is. X I C M. X A R T. Chickenxart.com. Chickenx. Yes, <laughs> that you got it. That's that's it, Charles. You totally chickenxing here. Yes. There's there's a poem in one in one of the one of the photographs by Al Rendon that is like right across from the altar of David Zamora Casas. There is this chest of this man with the Virgin of Guadalupe tattooed, and and this this poet was Raúl Salinas, who was an amazing, amazing, amazing poet who was in jail for something, 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 and. And while he was in jail, he started, they started making this Virgin of Guadalupe tattoo, but it wasn't finished. So in one part, you will see like the whole halo with all the shadowing and all that. And in the other one, you just see kind of like just the outline. And, and, and uh, an anecdote of the artist statement by Alice is telling the story when he met Raul Salinas and he told him the story that he was in jail, but he, they couldn't finish his tattoo because he left and, and he was released from prison. So he has an incomplete Virgin of Guadalupe tattoo. And he wrote a poem about exactly that, like how you cannot speak Spanish, you cannot speak your language and you are punished for that. When he was in, in, in prison, he studied and he ended up being one of the most recognized poets of the Chicano tradition. And he had an amazing um, library in, in, and a bookstore in Austin, Texas. And he went to school and he got a PhD and it's this kind of amazing uh, stories of, 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 of the people. And, and he was a poet. Poet Poetry is very important in the exhibit. As you walk through the through the through the exhibition, you will see a lot of quotes and a lot of poet fragments uh, by writers, by scholars, even by some of our art, the artists showcase. Because we believe that these these quotes, these texts, will give you a little bit of an, another layer of feeling or understanding or or insight into into the spaces. There's a poem that I strongly recommend you guys to read by Angelica Maria Aguilera and and she talks about the the tongue the words and and the wall so so her poetry is fantastic and all of that is on the website and also in the show so I, th- I think you will enjoy it as you walk through that you can sign um, put a message. You can write into a book that you were there, but you could also write what you were feeling when you saw the art. So I think this is a really different approach that the Museum of Anthropology is using to let people interact with the art and say, I was here, but also it's inspirational. Uh, the inspiration to write poetry, when people see how important poetry is in encouraging people, uh, that it doesn't have to rhyme, that it can scream, it can encourage, it's really a testimony to that, that any type of poet going through will feel inspired to honor their work, like Neil does almost every week with a new poem. So <laughs> we're going to hear one of his poems. <laughs> really, I really hope that by the end of the show, I will see on those books 
some poems of you guys. So that would be really nice to, to have as a, as a memoir and we will digitize it and have it on the catalog as well as part of the, of the experience with the people. I believe exhibits and, and museums are a place of dialogue and you cannot just have a show without having the interaction from the people that are seeing and experiencing the show. That is the whole reason to have an exhibit. Um, so, so this dialogue and this relationship and, and hearing your poetry and hearing your words, it is very important for, for, for cultural spaces. And for me as curator and for Geo as curator, it's, it's really, really important to see what the people are, are, are thinking, feeling and, and sharing with, with us. Thank you so for, so much for designing it that way. Um, now we're going to hear Neil's poem for today. Oh, I'd love yeah, to Yeah, I share. have a couple of questions first, oh, if you okay. don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Okay, the first one is, um, you talked about the importance of QR codes to the show. And um, I'm like a lot of people, especially seniors, I don't have a smartphone, I have a dumb phone. So I'm wondering if it's necessary to have a smartphone to, en to get the full enjoyment out of the show. No, absolutely not. You don't have to. The, 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 the QRs I thought about and we thought about also to, to try to approach all different segments of age within, within the exhibit. So when you have younger kids, they really need to be interacting through their phones. This is kind of the way they're relating to the work and to the world. So to be able to have QRs, they're going to be on the phone anyway. So better if they have a QR and they will go to another layer of content of the show. In the show, we have three different stations of and a computer, an iPad, a computer that is wheelchair friendly. So people that are with limited mobility can access it. You have, um, and, and children and iPads that you can enter and see the digital catalog as well. And also you have the address of the, of the, of the digital catalog, but exhibit by itself. If you just go to see it with no computer knowledge or no QR codes or no iPhone, I think they, we plan it that the experience that you will have, it will be as an enjoyable, as an insightful, as, as someone that is just QRing and hashtagging and Instagramming everything. So we, we wanted to think in those, in all those kind of different, different audiences that we can have. Okay. And how long is the exhibit running for? Yeah, the, this is this is great. The exhibit in, in, in MOA is going to be until January 1st, oh, 2023. Okay. So there's plenty of time to see it. And, uh, and, and I look forward to hear what you think of it. Mm. Okay, great. Thank you. That's why there is just a plain regular pen <laughs> and regular paper <laughs> that you can write your comments in, and then they will get forwarded to Greta so she can, they can reply and harness them, harvest them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Buenos dias, amigo. Amiga. Amiga. This is uh, my book. Oh, it's Neil, awesome. It is available on Amazon. And it's available in Kindle and all that good stuff. And in this book is a poem called The Poet. And I would like to share it with you. The poet, the voice that speaks through the poet transforms a simple wordsmith into a profound speaker of wisdom. 
one who puts pen to paper so that all may hear the insight and the wisdom that springs forth from the offerings of that voice. The poet responds to a voice that reaches down to us from the other side through the noise and clatter of the mind and speaks to the poet. Accepting or resisting, when that voice gets shared, we call that poetry. And them that give utterance to that gift, we call them poets. Words waft and weave in the air emanating from the poet, expressed with the intent to share a recognition of our common humanity. The poet expounds the truths of our common problem of being half animal, full of wants and needs, as well as half spirit, full of prayers and chants. In the beginning of time, the voice spoke to the poet around the fire and then retold the story painted onto the walls of caves that voice tells and retells of the epic journey of humanity, repeated from a time centuries upon centuries past. The voice utters words speaking from the deepest, darkest part of our memory, beyond conscious thinking, but recognized by our collective memory. That poetic voice can be understood by every human being in the world without regard to race, color, ethnicity, gender, or religious belief. Poetry speaks to everyone as we share a common memory emerging from a distant past. It is the same voice that spoke to the poets who wrote the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and Ozymandias, King of Kings. It is the voice that spoke to our forebearers, and we recognize a few of their names, Ovid, Homer, Rumi, Shelley, Tagore, and untold others in every language and every time. Poets speak to us of our common ancestry, from when we became aware that life is a series of experiences, of tragedy, and of joy. Poets share in a million ways about the joys and tragedies we all recognize, a tale of heartbreak and horror, joyfulness and ecstasy. Poets share the story of what it is to be human, a journey common to all of us. End of poem. Well, that touches it. That was wonderful. <laughs> Uh, one of the purposes of the exhibition and the poetry in it was to have an example of how it does touch the human soul. So that poem is an example of the ways that it can be motivating and inspira inspirational. Uh, I want to ask you about, you hear the word curator. How do you actually make the choices? What, how do you curate? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, it is, it, I think, I mean, as a, as a, as a curator of this show, um, what we wanted to do 
and and this was something that Jill and I talked a lot about. It was to actually make the 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 artist and 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 we just becoming a, a platform for them. Like one of the things that that Jill says a lot is that we were just holding the mic, the microphone for these artists and for these creators and for these writers and for these activists. So for us, it has been a total privilege to be able to work with them and to show their work. But in terms of what curating means and and the basic activity of it, it will be to to create and to conceptualize the framework that you can do. It's kind of like a storytelling, but visually. So how can you do a show and exhibit that it tells a story and you can tell a story chronologically or thematically, um, and we chose to do it by, by themes, by, by creating these, these nodules of activism, identity, home, borderlands, neighborhood, because these were kind of like common, common threads that we kept seeing in the, in the works when we were talking um, and also with the, when we were interviewing the artists. So we decided to accommodate the show like that. And also how, to, how can you um, present the work in order to, to, to tell the story to tell this poem that is this exhibition uh, so that 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 was more or less and also select the text and and work with the artist into uh, asking them to give us their quotes and their artist statements and of what it means to the piece and how they relate to other pieces within the show so there are a couple of as you said, like walls, and you talk about waters and walls. And then we also have another little thread inside that talks about uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe. So you will see the Virgin in different uh, moments throughout the exhibit in all the different thematic areas, and also food and activism. So so that's that's more or less kind of the work of, of we as, as curators and it's just uh, a, a storytelling and and, and trying to give you an experience and a, and a, a, a voyage, a viaje, throughout a, a, a visual uh, show. Over the three years, did you post notices in papers or community centers that you were welcoming artists to have their work considered for the exhibition? No, 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 no. The exhibit, the exhibition, this is a very specific group of artists. They are all U.S. citizens of Mexican origin, and it's very important because not all Mexican Americans in the U.S. will self-identify as Chicano. So, identifying as Chicano has to do with a whole identity process. It's a self-identification. It's a call to action. It's an involvement. It's a call to activism. So, we, we met some artists in, in San Antonio and California and other parts in the U.S., and they were Mexican-American, but they will not self-identify as Chicano. So all the artists in the show, they are, they are Chicano and they're self-identified as Chicano because they're activists. It's, it's this word that I really like is activism. That, that was a, a nice one that I heard in an interview, and I really liked, like all these artists and activism. I thought it was very appropriate uh, as, a, as a term. I'll, I'll share with you one of my artivism poems. Um, 
A man came to my house the other day. He said, Sister C, you are selfish. I said, my friend, what do you mean? He said, what, what I mean is you won't share what it is that keeps you so in the air. And there's clapping. C, 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 C. I laughed when I really got his drift. And I said, hey, my friend, check this. I'm on fire, I'm on fire, fire for the Lord, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, fire for the Lord. The man checked the cupboards, he checked the floors, he even checked the space between the cupboards and the floors. Again, he said, Sister C, you are selfish. I said, my friend, what do you mean? And then it goes into the audience says, she's on fire, she's on fire, fire for the Lord. And it was a poem about a day when a guy came, uh, he used to do uh, my braids and so forth. And he thought I had all this energy because I must be using some type of substance. So he looked in the cupboards, he looked in the doors, he looked everywhere. <laughs> and our point was, you know, you can be happy and have energy without an extra substance and just the energy of the creator, the universe can make you have energy, not a controlled substance or drugs. Um, I also believe that it, it, it helps a, speak, a, a, a skin pigmentation. Melamine gives you an extra um, melamine, melanin, melanin. Melanin. Mm-hmm. melanin gives it a whole extra level of of um, of mojo that it's that it's kind of great. It's lovely to hear you sing. Uh, my children wouldn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in Los Angeles, they had an opportunity of, <laughs> of uh, cross-cultural exchanges of poets around activism. Um, I've written poems about to the police and other people about not getting my sons. I'm not going to share it here because we're talking about the exhibit, but uh, it, it's an encouragement to people today. We say so many things happen and the poet, it calls to the poet to speak, uh, whether it's through rhyme, through it's through um singing, whether it's through some people very quietly whisper poems, but really to call and speak to people to think about and not just accept anything that's going on. When people say, what can I say? You know, you can say what's on your heart, react with the the scene right here. We're in downtown Vancouver and there are multi-million dollar buildings going up and there are people right on the street changing their clothes, using the bathroom with just cans. And you wonder how can people, you know, tolerate such a thing in a city where there's so much wealth. And so the poet throughout history has been one of the people, uh, poets have been people that have written in a way to draw people's attention or to motivate people and remove the fear of speaking out or encouraging people to do something about injustice or do something about things that don't seem quite right. You want yeah, to share one of I your think. poems? You said, tell us about your poetry book. Oh, about my poetry book? Oh, um, yeah, well, I, 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 my poetry book is called Splinter of Silence. It was uh, published in Texas by Wings Press. Um, I was awarded the Poesia Tejana, the Texan Poetry Award in 2000. And um but I want I will like if it's okay with you guys if I can share one poem that it's that it's in the exhibition or even like two. There's some really amazing Chicano poets that I I really think you would like, and one obviously is Gloria Saldua. But this one is by Angelica Maria Aguilera, 
And she says, I'm going to put my glasses. And she says, in my tongue, we do not pronounce the letter H. Home is not a sound my voice knows how to make. How an accent is just a mother tongue that refuses to let her child go. The language barrier is a 74-mile wall lodged in the back of Miguel's throat. The bodies of word so easily lost in the translation. Oh, say for whom does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Give back the land to the brave and let us make a home for us free. This is by Angelica Maria Aguilera. And it has this play with, with the star-spanglish banner um, in the U.S. Yes, I saw that, and it's that H is a word my tongue cannot speak. Mm-hmm. And there's another one that I, I really like, um, that Juanita Sanchez, it says, my voice is the prison of my own history. I never know if I'm being too Spanish or not enough English. Profound. Um, you know, CJSF is a college uh, community radio station, and some people who might be listening are people who are students. What type of preparation, academic preparation, does a person have to have to become a curator? Well, I I, I study art history and museum studies, and Jill studied museum museum studies so so i think it depends also on on your area you can also be be an anthropologist or you can be an archaeologist Um, but it's basically working with with humans and and human cultural creations and practices um, that that can can get you to that but yeah history museum studies anthropology history linguistics did you do internships at museums or travel as part of your preparation? Yeah, I I actually was really fortunate to get um, to 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 work in museums from a very young age and to work in art galleries from a very young age and to study young. So I um, yeah I've been I've been around the, the exhibition world for a for a for a few more than 20 years um, now. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I work at the Smithsonian. One of the first exhibits I curated was there. I did my graduate work at, at La Sorbonne in Paris. I studied in Mexico. I was able to, to have an art gallery. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I work with, with, with different uh, galleries and cultural centers in, in, in San Antonio and, and Washington as well. Two, we have a few people that are among our Zoomsters that are teachers, but uh, Leslie teaches English as a second language. Uh, what do you think of this type of preparation, Leslie? Uh, preparation what, for being a curator? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, actually, in a previous life, I also used to work at the Vancouver Art Gallery. So, um, yeah, um, the curators uh, there, of course, were graduates in art history. So I think it depends on what kind of museum you work for, what your background needs to be. 
as well. Uh, but you definitely need to be knowledgeable on the specific subject that the museum specializes in. So there are a lot of small, and I took museum studies as well at one point in my life. I've had a very checkered history. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of very small museums in BC. And I think the curators of those museums need to be familiar with the local community, local history. And, uh, you know, it just depends where, where you intend to work, really. Um, as a, a linguist, I'm an ESL teacher, so uh, linguistics was uh, part of my degree. Um, I became very much aware of um, the connection between imperialism and language suppression. And, you know, this whole, you know, the residential schools that have been revealed lately is really no surprise. But um, whenever a culture goes in and tries to conquer another culture, one thing they do is try to suppress the culture. And nowadays it's still going on. There are so many endangered languages around the world. You know, languages are disappearing at an incredible rate. And nobody really seems to think about it, but it's really, really important. Leslie, I am so happy that you're touching on that, that issue because that is also one of Arenet's the organization that I work for big projects. We have a, a, a big program on um, promoting uh, endangered and my endangered minoritized and indigenous languages. Uh, we are going to have a meeting uh, next next July to develop a toolkit uh, to help museums to incorporate indigenous and minoritized languages in the world. So, after this podcast, I really want your email, and uh, I, I would really like to follow up with you on this uh, on this issue because this is something we are working on and is very very important for us. And also how. Sometimes Spanish in the U.S. can become a minority language, right? When it's one of the most spoken languages in the world. So it's, it's kind of conceptually um, very interesting. Um, so, so yeah, we, we've worked a lot with, with, with indigenous and, and minority languages, minoritized languages. Yeah, and it's been very important listening to you because I didn't realize that um, you know, we think of Mexicans in the U.S. as immigrants always. That's the sort of the external perception. Um, I, for one, didn't realize that many of these Spanish speakers, as you said, the border moved across them. And I think many people are unaware of that. And lots of people in the US, I think, are unaware of that, too. Definitely. Yeah. And when you talk about this, the schools, uh, the same thing in the United States, when language Spanish, speaking Spanish was forbidden to them and they were punished. And, and what some of the artists in the show, they will tell you the story. He, Alfred Quiroz actually has a painting that is beautiful, was beautiful and brutal because it says English rules with a ruler. And it's mm -hmm. his hand uh, being uh, bit, 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 bit um, with a ruler, like bit, 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 like bitten, yeah. bitten, mm -hmm. bitten uh, by, a, by a school teacher because he was speaking Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. And the same is kind of like a shared experience. And the same in Mexico with indigenous languages is the same sort of really colonialistic approach. They're not really bilingual school, they're immersion schools and mm -hmm. a transition school into Spanish is not about preserving their, their languages. Things are changing, communities are more aware, 
but the amount of languages that have disappeared and the knowledge associated to that language, mm. that is the, the, the it's, it's terrible. So all the knowledges of plants, of medicine, of places, of practices, all of that is gone. So, so language preservation is, is, is at the core of our, mm. of our, of our interest and, and concerns. Yes, Dr. Ramona is also a retired university instructor and has commented on languages and the importance of uh, harnessing songs. Uh, did you have a comment? Sorry, I was on mute. I really enjoyed this uh, discussion. And I had some very basic uh, questions for Greta. What exactly does Chicano mean? Is it different from Latino? And where does it, I mean, what is Chicano culture? Sorry if I'm being very, very basic. No, 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 not at all. I think, I think it's, it's really important. So Chicano, a Chicano is a, a, an American citizen, a U.S. citizen of Mexican descent. That is a specific okay. Chicano. And Chicano, there's some, some studies about the origin of the world. It will come from Mexicano. Mexicano. Chicano. Chicano. So that was Chicano. Mexicano, Chicano. So that's kind of a little bit exactly the, the progression of the of the I mean that's one of the of the theories of the of the history of the world. And so Chicano is an activist, but the Chicano movement, it is an activist movement that happened in the 60s and 70s in the US to 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 fight for human rights for labor rights, for educational rights and representation um, of all this Mexican-American community. One of the major leaders of the Chicano movement was Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta, who's still alive and, 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 and well, and also Emma Tenayuca and, and many more. And also, so it, was, um, it is a political activism movement and, uh, and based in the US, but that has impacted a lot of policies international in terms of labor, agricultural, labor rights, educational, and representation. Thank you. Thank you so much. And what you said about those languages being lost, you and Leslie, I could relate to that, um, particularly in my study of history in my college, which was St. Xavier's College in Bombay. So we had this institute I couldn't call it a museum, but it was very, very precious to the study of ancient Indian history. It was called the Hiras Institute of Ancient Indian History. And in particular, they focused on two languages. One was Pali and the other was Artha Magadhi. These languages are, are, are completely lost, but our college offered courses in these two ancient languages. And they were used mostly, I think, by Buddhist and Jain um, you know, people at that period of time. So thank you. Thank you for bringing up these wonderful <laughs> thoughts. Well, I want oh, to thank, thank you. each of you for taking part in Powered by Age today. Thank you, Greta, for joining us from Mexico. <laughs>
Uh, it's wonderful technology. You look just like you're right here in uh, Vancouver. And I really appreciate your time and the insight and the inspiration to go and see that wonderful um, exhibition at the Museum of Anthropology here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, for opening your your space and this guild of poets and, and activists. It's It's been a very enjoyable afternoon. Thank you so much, Charlotte. And, and I hope you enjoy the show and, and that people will go and visit it. I, I look forward to hear and, and learn about their experiences and, and, uh, and comments. And thank you so much, Neil, for sharing your poetry. Uh, it's beautiful. And I'm definitely getting your book. I want it signed. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. This has been Powered by Age, relayed to you through Speak Up, Listen Up, Act Upon at cjsf.ca. And we will see you again next week. And you know, when people ask me what time it is, I always say it's love time, poem time. So I will see you again in love and joy. <laughs> muchas, muchas gracias, uh, amigo. Uh, no, amiga, amiga. <laughs> well, we can we can continue the theme of the show, and we can say muchas gracias, amigas. Yeah, amiga. <laughs>